But, um, mate, I, th- I thought I'd ask you on and thank you again for your time today to come on and talk to myself and, and for the community to, um, to hear your story. But, yeah, I was flipping through a, a White Dwarf magazine and I saw a young Graham Davy there in the editorial section. Hat. Yeah. <laughs> so you were part of the, uh, the White Dwarf team. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes. I mean, uh, I was in the editorial department prior to that. Um, in fact, well, in fact, I, I started in retail for a little while in the, one of the, in the Cambridge store for a bit. Um, and there was, there was an advert in White Dwarfs, in White Dwarfs for new White Dwarfers. Um, and uh, a couple of us from, from the store applied and went up for interviews. Um, and uh, actually they were looking for a whole range of people to join. Um, uh, and I got, I got taken on into the editorial department, uh, not White Dwarf. Um, so at that point I was, uh, it was the department kind of laying out and and proofreading all the all the codexes at that point, um, and also they there was a short phase where they were the they were putting fluff text on the back of on the outside of of the actual boxes. Uh, so if you bought a unit box of what whatever some New Yorks, there was a bit of a little snippet of fluff text on the back of there, and they. Uh, and they thought, um, so I did some of them. Um, so, and then after a bit, they, yeah, they, they switched me over into White Dwarf. Um, I think uh, possibly it was still Jake Thornton as the editor briefly, but quite quickly it switched over to Paul Sawyer. Um, and that was still uh, before before they moved to the big, mahusive new HQ, uh, the studio was still split off. The whole operation was kind of split in different ways around Nottingham, uh, which was which was great for me because I I lived literally about a hundred yards down the road from the studio. I could literally get out of bed at five to eight and, <laughs> and make it to work on time, uh, which is great. Uh, and uh, yeah, then they then uh, they moved moved into the new HQ building, and uh, it was a, still a pleasant walk down the canal to get to work every morning. So, yep. Yeah, so that's how, it's, how things started. Okay, and we should just rewind back to how how did you actually get into the hobby? Like, what was your first contact into miniature uh, wargaming or miniatures <clears throat> themselves? Um. Well, I used to, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit unsure exactly how it started, to be honest. Um, I, I used to have some some very early uh, D&D figures, which I bought from the, the, lo- the local hobby shop. Um, I had a, an uncle who was into historical wargaming and took me to... Uh, Southeast Southeast London Warlords have a big um, a big convention every year, and still did right right back when I when I was a youngster. Um, so 
So I remember him taking me to some of those and pushing some units of heavy knights around the table. And this was this was kind of back before there were even dice involved. It was just tabled and charts. Um, uh, so yeah, I remember enjoying that. I was probably only about ten or something. Um, uh, and just starting to get kind of D&D figures um, and then you know, role play, D&D role-playing quite a lot uh, and that was all, always kind of carried on in the background um, until I got, I was working advertising and I got quite fed up with that um, and spotted a a job for staff in the Cambridge store and thought, mm, yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be fun to do for a bit. And it, it kind of led on a whole big long path. Wonderful. So you, you got your, you got your uh, gig at, uh, at the store as a red shirt, as we used to call them back in the day. I was one of those as well. Um, uh, what game systems interest you the most or what, what kind of part, what part of Games Workshop really fascinated you the most? Well, um, when at the time when I started, uh, it was uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was what, what I liked the most. Um, uh, I'd never I'd never played Warhammer or Forty K when I joined the store. Um, I kind of blagged it, um, and uh, yeah. But you know, you you quick you quickly learn. Um, uh, in fact, I think it was the. I think it's the Warhammer box I could see behind you, which had the the lizard men and the Bretonians. That's the one that came out while I was there. Uh, so I did a hell of a lot of intro games with that. Um, Space Hulk, um, and and of course Forty K. Uh, but I immediately, I immediately kind of gained an attraction for Chaos Space Marines um, right from the word go uh, and started collecting them with very slow painter at that point. I used to paint everything up to absolutely the best I possibly could and it took forever. Um, so, uh, but I don't you know, in the staff and everyone in the store kind of tended to play with barely painted Barely painted armies at that point, and that was kind of accepted. I remember someone turning up for a game with a uh, a Warhammer game had a chariot, and they simply put down a pile of metal. <laughs> Brilliant! But that failed its terrain test. Then it obviously got uh, destroyed on the way, so yeah. had obviously a, a, a bit of a hideous accident. Uh, yeah, we've got a couple of guys on the Discord asking about that because, um, uh, yeah, Covering Fire says that uh, you had a Black Legion army, which is the Chaos army you're probably referring to. You spent all that time painting. Um, do, do you still actually have that army? No, no, I don't anymore, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's all, it got very, very big. <laughs> um, I, I did speed up with the painting and... Um, Got to a point where I was painting them quite efficiently, uh, but yeah, it saw me through a, a lot of games and featured in a lot of lot of battle reports. 
Um, so I think, yeah, quite a lot of people remember that. Wonderful. Yeah, nice, mate. Um, now, did you actually partake in battle ports in the studio, playing against the other guys there? Oh, yes, 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 plenty. Um, there's a particularly uh, well-remembered one, I think, which was my Black Legion playing against Paul Sawyer's White Scars. Um, and just the, the black versus white just was visually re really stunning. Um, uh, and uh, yes, there must have been lots more. I remember a, a massive, um, massive city fight game on an enormous board uh, with multiplayers and Andy Chambers and Pete Haynes and me and some of the other white dwarfers. Uh, so that was when, that must have been when City Fight, the original City Fight book, I think. Um, uh, so yeah, there, 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 there were there were many. A lot of them were. The, the the Black Legion used to do quite well, whereas I seem to always lose if I wasn't playing with them. Right, okay. <laughs> Did you really enjoy doing those battle reports of the guys playing all the student studio terrain and? And all that kind of thing. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was getting to play on the on the that terrain is is quite a privilege. So uh, yeah, it was always really stunning, and um, and it, it was a always a slight slightly strange experience doing a battle report because you, on the whole, you're trying to make sure you show off it was usually to promote whatever new thing was coming out um so if if uh, you know a, a new a new tank a new tank had come out you needed to make sure it got a good showing you couldn't just kill it on turn <laughs> one um yeah so you would if that happened you would tend to kind of okay that didn't happen um right okay uh, well, yeah. and tweak things a bit without being you know too obvious and uh you know it could be killed in the final to them but but it needed to at least show what it could do because i had uh, gary um gary morley on uh last week and he sort of talked about that with his one and only bad report with robin dews playing one fourth edition yeah. and he'd, he'd never played it before but then <laughs> so, something had happened because i think they were promoting the um the chaos dwarf army at that time so they had to make sure the cast will high won the game. So they had to rewind a couple of parts and re and redo them again, or just basically just write or re-photograph re scenes or whatever in the battle report to make sure the final outcome was that the, the cast was triumphed in the end. So was that actually a regular thing in the studio? They had a new, new army book or new army they wanted to uh, focus on for sales and that kind of thing. They made sure that that army uh, won the battle in the end. Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily say one, um, uh, but they had to. They had to make. They couldn't just look pathetic, right? Okay. <laughs> that clearly wouldn't promote the army, you know. Uh, yeah. White White Dwarf was a sales tool. A sales tool at the end of the day. Um, so uh, yeah, they had. They had to at least, at the very least, show what they could do. Um, yeah and um make make a good fist of it and uh demonst demonstrate their prowess of, of whatever it was 
Um, I mean, it, it was more often uh, just there was a, a, a new, a few new units, as I say, a new tank. It's you know, it's fairly uncommon for an entire new army to to appear. Um, uh, it was yeah, it's, it was interesting because um, the the kind of whole business business side of it wasn't really uh, <laughs> explained to us very well, shall we say? Um, uh, I remember when the plastic the plastic dreadnought first came out. Um, uh, um, the guys in White Dwarf, we did this uh, lovely big double page spread full of great photos of the dreadnought stump, different dreadnoughts stumping round through lovely terrain. Uh, the, I think heavy metal was painted up maybe five different different chapters, um, and um, the uh, there's a character called Alan Merritt. You might have heard of him, um, who oh, was. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who's called the design manager or something. <clears throat> Came and said, "What the hell are you doing?" And we we're like, "What?" But we've we've shown it off really well. What are you talking about? Uh, and he said, "Where are the space marines?" Oh. Uh, and the poster boys. Yeah. And uh, kind of explained at length to us that the dreadnought was there to sell space marines. We're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." <laughs> when you when you think about it. Um, and uh, I think there was the you know uh, we were often in a kind of little isolated bubble doing our little thing on White Dwarf, and uh, every so often you got a a lesson in how how the wider business actually works. <laughs> and, okay, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and also another person um, is it Carney Fix? Uh, asked, did anybody cheat in games or get caught in cheating in battle reports? And if so, who was the biggest cheat? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, if it's, particularly if you were playing a battle report, you, everyone was aware you were, you, you were there to kind of tell a story. Um, and put on a put on a good show for the magazine. Um, uh, so I <coughs> excuse me. Um, so no, I don't don't remember really cheating going on. I think yeah, everyone. Was, <laughs> um, I was playing above board then. That's good. That's the main thing. <laughs> uh, a lot of guys posted up things about the Taylor Four Gamers with Paul. I think it's Paul Sawyer and his bacon butties. Seems like yes. a famous a famous topic in the studio at that point. Um, so he says, uh, "Tell us everything about Black Legion Army that featured in several White Dwarf reports, which we touched, uh, touched on before." Uh, I fully remember the one with Black Legion versus Por Porcelain's White Scars. Oh, good, we covered that. That's great. Okay, so it seems quite a popular one. But yeah, there seems to be a lot of things about bacon butties. So here's <laughs> got a, an article in one of the White Dwarves. Uh, it looks like Paul was constructing one of his armies when there's, you know, the Tale of Four gamers, you know, those articles. It was quite famous. Yes. I think it's still fondly remembered with a lot of guys now. They had like a certain budget and they had to buy their fifth edition army with that budget yeah. to go to the stores and buy that kind of thing. He says, um, uh, with one pounds 25 
uh, burning a hole in my pocket. The only course of action was to pay a visit to the snack shop across the road. Uh, cue one large bacon baguette uh, with extra lard. So wh whether that was like an, uh, a running in joke in the studio, I don't know. But um, yeah, do you do you fondly remember those times working with those guys in the editorial section? And do you still have contact with them? Um, well, I. Yeah. I worked with Paul Sawyer again later on when I joined Warlord Games. Right. Um, uh, and I still, I'm still good friends with Phil Kelly. Um, uh, we have a, we have a kind of a board game group, which uh, meets most weeks. Well, mostly online at the moment, but. Um, uh, so, so yeah, a few of them. I've still got some links back there. Um, Paul, uh, yeah, Paul had this kind of uh, char character, I guess, within the magazine um, of of liking bacon butties. Um, but I think we all had a kind of a slightly larger than life caricature created of us. Um, like we used to do. Uh, this little in intro at the beginning of the magazine with which went through all the white dwarfers so I was known as wordy bloke and we uh, we kind of I wrote those little silly intros and we, we just kind of came up with silly names for everyone and and uh, silly activities that they'd been doing over the over the month which were loosely based in reality um, so I think I think Paul definitely did like the bacon bodies, um, but uh, we might have we might have exaggerated it a, a little bit. And did you ever get go into like game design at any point during your career at Games Workshop? Um, well, I I moved on from White Dwarf onto uh, the Battle Games in Middle Earth team, which was the the Lord of the Rings part work um, and I was the editor of that for a couple of years and I moved back to the studio into uh, into the games games development team as the kind of what I was called the studio editor at that point so I was I guess again editing the codexes and new books but at, at a higher level I suppose you'd say so yeah, I was in more involved in the uh, not the not directly writing stuff, but certainly involved in in a lot of that stuff. That was around the time of uh, the first apocalypse book, um, the planet planet four book, one of the city fight books, I think, um, like the second one, uh, and all the associated codexes and and new editions of things. Um, so that was, yeah, that was uh, with Alessio and Jervis and uh, I think, yeah, Phil Kelly at that point and various others. What was your best time at GW when you worked there? What was the best project or, or what were the best years that you had there, do you think? Um, it's, it's tough to say, isn't it? Because there were a bit of different, different points. A lot of it's about who you're working with. Um, uh, Towards the end, Jeremy Beatsock took over running game development uh, and uh, 
that was that was great. We got on really well. Um, so that was a big period. Um, but also the the battle games in Middle Earth team was uh, was great. We had a really good uh, good little team there. Um, that was a very different thing because it was a, a two weekly magazine. We were on a, such a tight schedule. Um, uh, and you, you know, if someone was went on holiday for a week, that would throw every, everything out. So that all had to be built in what, to to the timings of everything. Um, there was no way you could miss a deadline because we were working with external companies. Um, whereas White Dwarf used to get really late. Um, uh, so yeah, and we were out of the way in a different building. So we had a a great little team there. Worked with Mark Latham, who who's gone on to do lots of interesting things as well. Um, uh, so that 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 was a fun time as well. Um, and yeah, I, I guess you you have fond memories of all the different stages, really. And is there any particular game system that you love the most out of out of that time you were there? Um, I think uh, I would probably say Apocalypse because it was that was the. I mean, it's just it's very well. It is forty k now is is using all these huge great things, but at the time it was it was opening things up for the uh, for the very first time to use bigger tanks and titans and larger formations, and that was. At that point, that was quite groundbreaking and very exciting. Um, so we were all coming up with uh, data sheets and different ideas for formations. And um, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember. I, I I suggested this the idea of doing an entire chapter as a as a data sheet, and the idea of for, fielding an entire chapter on. on on the battlefield was like wow that's amazing it's a, again the business the business people love that idea because once again selling a lot of space marines right did you ever play uh, space marine at all the epic scale of 40k uh i think very early on i played it um but not a great deal i remember i, I know i have played it at least once but uh, that would have been very very early yeah, in fact, I remember buying loads of uh, loads of models, loaded small epic scale forty k models when I first joined, and, and never doing anything with them whatsoever. I was going to say it'd be a lot easier to field a, a chapter of Marines that way. That's for sure. Than, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but of course, it doesn't, didn't sell very well. Maybe in the end, unfortunately for Epic. Um, now. Um, What's your favourite collection of miniatures, or what? What's your favourite model? Uh, that kind of thing from from GW, whether it be from that that period of time or earlier. Mm. Do you have a particular favourite? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, well, again, probably uh, some of the chaos stuff. Um, the the that original Khan the Betrayer model was fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, Abaddon. Yep. Um, 
and actually the the original Archeon for Warhammer Chaos was kind of based on the, the painting of Napoleon on the horse. It's just uh, yeah, that's that's a stunning figure. Right. So you've, you've always been a Chaos player at heart, then your whole gaming career. Uh, yeah, certainly that long period towards the end, I started a um, an Imperial Guard. Um, Imperial Guard Army. I had Sisters of Battle as well. I like. I really like the that. Uh, you remember that first Sisters Battle Codex, which when the, the cover art was just there was this amazing John Blanche picture with every every person in it was a different character. Um, uh, I I really love that idea of of just an army of characters rather than identical military people. Um, which is uh, so uh, that started that influenced me quite a lot and still does with my my current stuff. Okay, yeah, because we can we can jump forward now because obviously you left Games Workshop at a certain time after that, and then you got on uh, you sort of started working uh, with yourself and Andy Hobday and maybe others with Warlord Games, and you guys released Test of Honor. Yes, so yeah, so uh, this was quite a few good five five years later. I'm guessing. Um, so Andy and I basically ran the website, the web store, um, uh, and just in our spare time, started playing around with some ideas for a for a samurai game. Um, so a little kind of going back a bit, actually at the time, probably the time I first joined Games Workshop, I also started doing Aikido. It's a Japanese martial art, uh, which, and that's how I knew Andy, because um, he joined a little bit later. Um, and I didn't, although he worked at Games Workshop as well, I didn't know him through that at all. Um, only knew him through the Aikido. So we both had that uh, background interest in Japan and, and Japanese military history and samurai and stuff like that. That was kind of fostered from, from doing martial arts together. Um, and yeah, we just uh, started, I came up with a little little mechanic for 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 samurai battles, kind of based more on um, the old old samurai movies, to be honest, than, than anything particularly historical. Um, so I wanted to kind of get that idea of this amazing swordsman who could swirl around and and take out five guys at five guys in a row um, without being kind of stuck and bogged down in combat. Um, so we started doing that and it seemed to work quite well uh, and it, I kind of fleshed it out, started doing scenarios and and little experience system and things like this uh, and you know various, uh, we had about half a dozen of us were playing some games in the evening uh, and around that time Warlord acquired a load of plastics from a, from a from another company 
which included a load of samurai, as a, just a pure coincidence. Uh, and they asked us if we could use, if they could use our system uh, to publish again. Obviously, we were absolutely yes, please. That's that's great. We get to publish our game. Fantastic. Uh, so I kind of rewrote it to fit the fit the brief of what was needed. And test of, the first edition of Test of Honor came out quite small, but it was turned out to be really quite popular. The first print run sold out within a month. And I had to rush for a big reprint. Um, uh, and then, you know, a couple of years later, both Andy and I had, had left Warlord. We each then had our own game companies. Um, so we agreed with Warlord to take, take control of publishing Test Bomber. Uh, and that I set up uh, Great For Now Games specifically to publish uh, Test of Honor. And what a cracking game it is, mate. I picked up the second edition, and um, unfortunately, I missed the first edition. But it was here in Japan in our local game store, but for whatever reason, it just, I don't know, I just didn't grab it at that time. But I was really looking forward to it because I saw a, um, uh, I think it was a, a battle, like a, game demo you did with the guys at Beast of War at that time. And yeah. I just loved, loved the idea of it. I thought it looked, looked so fantastic to play. Uh, but yeah, it's a really cracking game. And um, uh, I haven't, you know, I've, I've had a few games playing it solo, just me playing both sides because I don't have a, an opponent to play with. But my son really likes it because he likes rolling the dice because of the, the special symbol dice you have. Yeah. all the swords and the crosses on it so he really enjoys that it's a really simple it's a simple mechanic but it's, there's a there's a lot of depth to it as well um so it might look simple on the surface but once you get into it it's it's quite a lot of depth to it with all the different yeah, abilities I, I think that's been um a big part of its success a that it, you only need say 10, 10 or so figures you only have to paint up 10 figures so it doesn't don't have to worry about investing in the time and money of, of a, a full army uh, and be just it's, it is just very easy to learn people will play a couple of turns and they've got it and um, all the the depth and the complication kind of comes later and you bring in the cards and stuff like that um, but it's very but it is very quick to learn and uh, I think it makes it very easy for people to just spot it and pick up and have a go and uh, and that's and that's worked out really well yeah no it's a fantastic fantastic game i really enjoyed it and i hope to get to get onto the table more in the future uh but uh another game that is coming well it's on the horizon now isn't it very close yeah. So, could you tell us about the uh, the new newly anticipated game, mate, that's coming out very soon? Yeah. So, um, the new game is called O Two Hundred Hours. It's set in World War Two, and it's all about nighttime commando raids. So, it's a very uh, very specific little niche. Um, so, it's a 
you always have an attacker and a defender. Um, so you've got uh, commandos and SAS and various other special forces creep, creeping through the darkness, uh, whereas the defenders has sentries walking around on patrol routes um, and the attackers will be trying to slip past them without being spotted or take them down with, with uh, silent takedowns, um, get in, set explosive charges or whatever else their mission is. Uh, and then get out, get out again without being spotted, which very rarely happens. It usually descends into a big firefight. <laughs> I imagine so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like the I like the concept of it because um, you know back in the day I loved playing Ghost Recon. This is like back on the Xbox One or yeah. Xbox Two or whatever. It's got it's uh, obviously that's modern day uh, warfare, but I like the idea of these kind of silent at night raids where you're sort of going creeping in. Um, undercover kind of thing of darkness but then you know every sound you make can alert one of the guards nearby and they can react to what you're doing it's got a very similar uh activation uh mechanic as well where you're pulling out shits of a, out of a bag like test of honor is that right yes it's got that same initiative system um but beyond that everything is new uh so it's a whole different dice system um Essentially, every every action you make, there's a one of the dice faces is an, called an alert, um, which will give give away your position. So, essentially, the more the more of those dice you roll, the the more likely you are to get spotted. Um, uh, and then the guards will start zoning in on your location, moving towards you. Uh, and ultimately raise the alarm and start shooting. Um, but at the same time, you can potentially make use of that by drawing the guards in one direction, allowing other guys who are still covert to sneak around in, on the other side. Uh, so it's quite a interesting dynamic and quite makes for a quite a different game. Do you need a lot of terrain to play? Um, a, a fair bit, yeah. Um, but I mean, anyone who's played uh, Bolt Action or or any you know any kind of sim similar game on a on a large you know six by four table which you play Bolt Action or Warhammer on, will would be able to condense that that terrain down because the uh, we just use a three by three area, which is a much more tight in game. Um, so generally, if you if you played any of those games prior, previously, then, then you'll have plenty. Um, uh, you know, obviously you can do a you know beautifully themed table with with factories and guard posts and stuff, but you can equally play play with forests and and ruined farmhouses and stuff like that, which could could be taken from any period, really. So when people buy the starter set, what exactly will they get in the in the box, mate? Um, it will have uh, 12 plastic SAS. We've done uh, multiple plastics for, for this set, working with Wargames Atlantic. 
Um, so 12 plastic SAS and 18 centuries, German centuries, um, along with all your rule book and your counters and a big, big wodge of cards, which do various fun things in the game too. Cool. And when is it going to be released? Well, um, I'm not precisely sure yet, but essentially we're waiting on those plastics. Um, so War Games Atlantic make their, their moulds are made in China uh, and then flown over to America where they do the actual production now. And we're, wait, we're waiting for the moulds to arrive essentially in America. Um, I think, I feel they're probably stuck in customs somewhere, uh, but essentially we're at the mercy of international freight companies. Um, but as soon as I hear that has landed and we can, we can start actually producing the, all the frames that we need, um, we'll be firming up the dates. I'm hopeful it's going to be within, within a month or two. Okay, mate. So, yeah. you know, fingers crossed, really quite soon. And, uh, yeah, we wish you all uh, all the success with that uh, that launch of the new game. I'm sure it's going to be just as successful as Test of Honor, with people who are familiar with that system and that mm -hmm. game. But, of course, it's a totally different theme, set in World War II. But I'm sure that'll appeal to a lot of people uh, out there as they already play bold action, like you say, and other, other World War II game systems. Um, so that'd be awesome to see. I would like to try it. It'd be just getting the terrain, I think, would because I don't have it. I don't play bold action. I don't play any other World War II game. But I, I think I think the system looks really, really cool. Uh, like I say, only the few few models per side. So I like those kind of games where you can sort of break them out over a weekend and just have a have a bit of a laugh with friends and um, play um, play a game like that. Would be really cool. Um, so jump jumping back. Jumping back in time now, back into the, the 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, um, if you could choose a game to play from that period with a particular person, what game would it be and who would you want to play it with? Uh, I would think probably, um, probably a game of Warhammer with... Jeremy Vitop. Jeremy was super creative. It wasn't at all about um, uh, winning. He just had these amazingly modelled converted armies. Um, he did incredible terrain, um, came up with all the stories. Um, and, uh, it was just the real ultimate creative side of, of, of playing Warhammer uh, and it, you just totally immersed in the in the story uh, it wasn't a wasn't a competitive tournament thing at all um, and you just always had fun um, well we did, didn't care whether you're winning or losing it was just you were just immersed in the in the in the world that's wonderful I remember him because he's American, isn't he, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, I remember him being flown out to the studio back in the nineties to play a battle report. He took the dwarves because I think he was a massive dwarf player at that time, and it was against a Chaos Army, against the fourth edition Chaos Army. I think maybe the, the Chaos Army just got released then for fourth yeah. edition. 
which came of course with that glorious box set, all the the cards. You remember that fondly, I think, Graham. Yeah. All your gift cards you gave to your, your troops yeah. in that yeah. kind of thing. <clears throat> but I remember him playing in that particular battle report. Um, and he had this awesome looking army. I think I think he was restricted with the studio collection at the time. So maybe, but yeah, but it, it was a really fun report to read through and um uh, his his choices for the for the models and it was all basically like you say based on some kind of theme in his mind or story behind it and um yeah that's that's a great choice mate that's excellent so you did actually play a lot of uh warhammer back in the day it wasn't just all 40k you did actually oh no we 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 used to play everything um you know there was there was game pretty pretty much every week you were playing something um once once we're in games there there was play testing going on you know that was that was work so you could so there's play testing going on and then personal games going on at lunchtime and and after work uh so so yeah i mean every everyone was uh an avid player and we, it was just constant really so yeah and if it's if there's something that you could get back that maybe you lost or sold or gave up or uh, yeah yeah sadly the my um, I did this um, conversion of uh, of the of the bloodthirster for my Chaos Space Marine Army, which was uh, which was named Barry the Bloodthirster, uh, which yeah it just over, over the years it's unfortunately got lost. Um, which is very sad because I spent many uh, hundreds of hours making that thing. Oh wow! Um, because you know, back when it was a big heavy metal model, it was a lot harder doing conversions than it is these days. Yeah, that's wonderful, mate. That's excellent. Okay, Graham. Well, thank you very much again for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your stories about you know working at Games Workshop, your time there, experiences with other people. And about your new and current projects as well. It's all very exciting, mate. So all the very best for the future for you, mate. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks very much again, Graham. Take care.